Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with a very special edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. Getting Over is back with an absolutely loaded show. Not only are we going to have an NXT TakeOver 31 Ultimate preview for you, not only are we going to be speaking with the challenger Sunday for the NXT Championship, Kyle O'Reilly, we are also going to break down every single thing that happened on NXT and AEW Dynamite on Wednesday night. Absolutely loaded show, as I said, just a second ago, and you will be able to check out timestamps for every single segment on today's show in our episode description where you can find them during every episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So that way, if you want to skip around, if you want to revisit our ultimate preview for TakeOver 31 right before the show goes on the air, you will be able to do just that. But I had an incredible talk with Kyle O'Reilly that will be aired in the middle of the show today. And so much happened Wednesday night on NXT and AEW Dynamite that we are going to dive into all of it right now. Before we do, you guys know the drill. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and review. It was like International Podcast Day or something on Tuesday. So hey, you know what? Let's celebrate, right? Celebrate the good times, five-star ratings and reviews for your favorite show. And don't forget also to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. I did get challenged by a listener who said, hey, Silver King, Could we get you to watch Star Wars for every thousand followers on your Twitter account? And I said, you know what? Starting when he asked, which was, we were at about 700. I said, every thousand followers that we gain on the at getting overcast Twitter account, I will watch one Star Wars movie. So that will be up to all you guys. If you think that is important to you, certainly we have enough listeners to make that happen. Um, but this show does need to grow. And one of the best ways you can help us do that is by following us at getting overcast, sharing our shows. When we post them, sharing those tweets and just interacting with us, send in your DM slides. That's the way you ask questions in order to appear on the show. We do have a very strong base of people who talk to us every week, but I know there's so many more listeners out there who just may not want to write in, or maybe don't feel like they need to write in to ask questions. But if you do, Please feel free. I try to read and respond to all of them, even the ones that don't get read on the show. So with that, we are going to move directly into our NXT TakeOver 31 Ultimate Preview. And we're going to start with the lone match on the show that is not for a title, Kushida versus Velveteen Dream. Now on Wednesday night, you saw Kushida beat Tony Nese, and it feels like week by week, we are pulling the personality and character out of Kushida, which is a nice change after all of the setbacks and all of the questionable booking that he kind of suffered through early in his NXT career. His promo on Wednesday night was very good, but it felt like the translation that was written below was almost done by an app or Google as opposed to someone who naturally speaks Japanese. I thought that was a little strange when you could just get someone to translate it better. But Kushida goes ahead, beats Nice with the hoverboard lock in a few minutes, showcasing his aggressiveness. Dream pops on screen later, uh, quotes Eminem, and says Kushida never shows up when it actually matters, which theoretically in his NXT career has been true. And they have done a pretty good job setting the stage for this match. But what we have seen historically in NXT is when Velveteen Dream is in maybe a non-major match, right? He generally wins. And Kushida, when he is in a major match generally loses. So we enter this not really knowing who's going to win. In fact, I look at the entire NXT card and considering we have the WWE draft just a few days later, I think five days later or so on SmackDown, it really leaves a lot open for interpretation in terms of who's going to win and lose matches, whether they would get called up and really what is going to be happening long-term in NXT with the superstars on this card. In the case of this match, this has to be a Kushida victory. This is a character change. He's finally gaining some momentum that he's never really had before in NXT and beating a guy who's a former North American champion who has a pedigree, uh, at least in terms of NXT, whereas Kushida's pedigree really comes from New Japan more than anything else. 
that would be the right decision. So I just do not see a scenario here where Dream wins this match. It should be Kushida, and it probably should be the opening match on the show. I think it would tear the house down. I'm very excited to see these two lock up. We also have the Cruiserweight Championship, Santos Escobar defending against Isaiah Swerve Scott. And you guys know how angry the Silver King was that this was not on the last NXT TakeOver pay-per-view. However, we are getting Escobar and Swerve at NXT TakeOver 31, and I am ready for it. That's the most action I've had all year. Match hasn't even happened yet. It's going to be the most action I've had all year. But on NXT Wednesday, they had a face-to-face promo battle that for me was the best segment of the entire first hour. These guys displayed so much natural charisma. And while there may have been pointers, the dialogue between them was completely natural. So they may have had like some avenues in which to go down, but you could tell that these were their words. This is what they wanted to say. I couldn't shake the feeling that You could put that promo segment and run this feud on Raw and it wouldn't seem out of place at all. all, I also appreciated, by the way, that the Cruiserweight title is being treated with a enhanced level of seriousness that it just has not been previously. Yeah, it's had some really good feuds and there's been great matches for the title and in the division, but this felt like the Cruiserweight title was akin to the North American Championship. And that is not a status level that it has reached to this point. So I am excited about this match. And when you get into the predictions, it's tough because Escobar just won the title, but he's also so much better, I guess, than the Cruiserweight Championship already at this stage. He should be someone who is going after Damian Priest and the North American Championship. He should be someone who sooner than later is being built up into a challenger for the NXT title, or maybe even before he gets to that point, gets moved over to the main roster. Swerve is great as well. He could challenge for a mid-card title tomorrow, but it does feel to me like this is an opportunity for them to take the title off Escobar, put it on Swerve, point that division in a new direction, and move Escobar over to the mid-card picture. The only difficulty is NXT, in a very short period of time, is doing a great job building up a lot of other mid-carders. You're talking the Cameron Grimes and the Bronson Reed. Ridge Holland came out of nowhere. Dexter Loomis is back. Kushida's there. Velveteen Dream's certainly lurking around. So all of a sudden, there's a ton of mid-carders and potential, you know, main eventers. And you just kind of wonder what's going to be happening right now. And Undisputed Era, the only person on the show with a match is Kyle O'Reilly. So Adam Cole, Roderick Strong, Bobby Fish, are they setting this up for a final a move to the main roster, a final opportunity for Undisputed Era in NXT. I just, these are a lot of, these are a lot of unknowns right now and a lot of questions I have going into this show. So I don't think I've ever struggled predicting outcomes to matches. Now I I predict just because I predict them doesn't mean they're right. I'm wrong constantly, but generally with NXT and you guys long-term listeners know when I do predict the takeovers, I generally get like 80% right. You pretty much know where NXT is going to go with their booking, but they still take you along for the ride. But this show, really with the exception of one individual match, I think anyone can win any any of the matches because it's just such a unique time in the history of NXT and in the WWE storytelling landscape, given the fact that there's a draft, given the fact that the rosters are a little bit shorthanded because of releases and, and people not competing due to the pandemic. I I don't know what they're going to do, but in this case, I do happen to think that Swerve, in his third opportunity, that that factors into it as well, in his third opportunity, will walk out with the Cruiserweight Championship. Now, we also now have two matches that are kind of all mixed up together. You have the Women's Championship, Io Shirai defending against Candice LeRae, and the North American Championship, Damian Priest defending against Johnny Gargano. And Wednesday night on NXT, these feuds basically merged and it made for really great television. The power couple gimmick with the Garganos is really working. It's done wonders for Candice LeRae's character. And it was kind of funny that they trashed uh, Sarah Schreiber behind her back after she left in the promo segment backstage. I thought that was funny. We later got a good promo with Priest and Shirai kind of starting to feel each other and realizing that they might work really well together 
as a group. They as gimmicks, they're both cool faces now. So badass cool faces. So they really did oddly work together. And you saw it in the match where Gargano and Larray ultimately beat Priest and Shirai. It was a lot of fun. The Garganos looked great in their matching ring gear. And as I said, Priest and Shirai, they were awesome together from their entrance where they basically disrobed and then screamed and ran to the ring together to Priest kicking Gargano in the back of the head, but doing so around Shirai, who was standing between them. Then Shirai hits her moonsault um, onto Gargano. She also hit a splash to the outside off of Priest's shoulders out over the ropes uh, into the outside. It was just a really entertaining match. Of course, it did end with Candice LeRae low-blowing Damian Priest and then Gargano hitting one final beat for the win. But this just created a ton of intrigue for the TakeOver matches. And it really left me wondering again, what are they going to do here? Because yes, I believe you could take Io Shirai and Damian Priest, have them both lose the titles, make the power couple, the married couple champions, and push both of them over to the main roster. But at the same time, Shirai's title reign has not been that long. She's been waiting for it for a really long time in NXT. There's a stacked division there, plenty of people to be her challengers. Whereas you have Priest, who similarly has been waiting for a big opportunity. But he, if he lost the title, let's say, doesn't have to get called up. He could move into the NXT title picture. But again, the North American Championship in particular has really been hot potatoed over the last few months. So when it comes down to predicting this match, I think I have to, these matches, I should say, I think I have to split the difference. You know, I think the better storyline, if it was possible, if it worked out, would be for Larray and Gargano to both win the titles. I just don't think they're going to go in that direction. So what I expect to happen is to have the North American Championship go down first. And I think Damian Priest is going to end up retaining over Johnny Gargano, keep the title, keep on rolling in NXT. And then for the Women's Championship match, I think that will give Gargano a little bit more focus and attention on his wife, and he will ultimately help her beat Io Shirai for the NXT Women's Championship, with Io Shirai five days later being drafted to Raw or SmackDown. There are needs for main event level women on WWE television right now. Shirai would slide right in with an awesome opportunity. I mean, could you imagine if they booked Asuka Io Shirai for WrestleMania? Like that would just tear the freaking house down. So that is the direction I think they're going to go with these two matches. As I said, it's just difficult to kind of predict all of them because it could literally be the opposite. They could have a spot for a really strong big man mid-carder on SmackDown and they may want to call up Damian Priest, whereas... You know, Io Shirai, they want to keep being champion because eventually they want her to lose the title to Rhea Ripley. I, the qu- the thing is, I just don't know. And where I normally feel like I have a handle on things, the quick build for this coupled with the draft, I know I'm repeating myself, but it kind of has me on edge, not really knowing what's going to happen. And we did have a DM slide um, right here from Lil Nate at MT Stewart 4. And he basically asked the same question. Do you think any NXT talent is going to get called up for the draft? I could see Priest and Shirai losing a takeover and getting drafted next week. So obviously, I just discussed the latter part of that. With regards to the rest, I do think other talent absolutely will get drafted. But the key, what I really hope, is that WWE superstars, at least a couple of them, make their way back to NXT. But I don't know how they're going to thread that needle. They don't have a very deep roster right now, believe it or not, on Raw or SmackDown, particularly Raw. But this shakeup, this draft is drastically needed for WWE. They're even in a situation where on NXT, SmackDown, and Raw, there's like a grand total of six tag teams from the the men's side. So what the hell are you going to do with all of that? There's a lot of questions that need to be answered. And one of the ways in which those questions might start to be answered will be with the surprise return that we have been teased about for NXT TakeOver 31. We saw another one of those night vision video game style vignettes on NXT this week. As I said last week, they've done a really good job making this interesting. The only hints I've seen are that this person is a former NXT champion who held the old title. They looked at an NXT TakeOver Orlando poster. And then this week, 
you saw someone in a motorcycle drive away from Amway Center, which makes you believe that they were either on Raw or SmackDown recently, or were at least on the main roster. There's only three people that I've been able to come up with, and they are Robert Roode, Ember Moon, and Bo Dallas. Roode just returned on Raw, so it would really make zero sense for him to just suddenly show up on NXT unless they wanted that Raw match against McIntyre to kind of boost him up as, hey, this is a main event level guy. But I think him returning at NXT anyway would have basically solidified that fact. While in NXT champion for nine months, Bo Dallas losing the title back in the day was actually the turning point of NXT because Neville beat him. And then from there, Sami Zayn, oh, and it just, it went from not zero to 60, but like it was idling at like 25 miles an hour. And then it hit 60. Uh, So I don't know that Bo Dallas going back to NXT, despite still being on the roster, still being paid, hasn't been used in forever. I don't know that would it would make much sense. So by default here, of the three options I've been provided with from my own brain, um, Ember Moon is the option. And with Ember Moon, what have we heard recently about her? That her recovery seems to be taking longer than expected. There is the outside chance she may never never wrestle again. So because of all of that, it's like, well, is that even a legitimate possibility? The only thing that does lead me to thinking it might be her is the idea that this these vignettes have been video, very video game centric and she is a gamer. So I do think that could factor into everything. But either way, I'm going to legitimately be surprised because... Those are the three people I can think of, but it doesn't mean it's going to be any of them. And maybe some of those things in the vignettes were complete swerves to get you thinking in that direction, zig in one direction so they can zag you in another. So I am just really excited to see who the return is going to be. It is one of the most anticipated moments on the show. And you do also have to wonder, you know, what title picture does this person factor into? Is it the women's title picture? Is it the North American championship picture? Or is it the NXT championship picture? And that certainly will come into clarity by the end of the show. Now, before we get to the main event, Finn Balor defending the NXT championship against Kyle O'Reilly, we are going to speak with the challenger, Kyle O'Reilly. So stay tuned for that audio coming up right now. And on the other side of the interview, we will break down the NXT championship match and complete our NXT TakeOver 31 Ultimate Preview as well as discuss everything else that happened in NXT and then later AEW this week. So stay tuned right now as Kyle O'Reilly joins Getting Over. Thrilled to welcome NXT superstar Kyle O'Reilly to the show for the very first time. Kyle will be challenging Finn Balor for the NXT Championship this Sunday at NXT TakeOver 31, airing live at 7 p.m. Eastern on the WWE Network. Kyle, this is a pretty awesome moment in your career right now, but it's also coming at a unique and, you know, strange time pretty much for everyone. Obviously, you've Mm -hmm. missed a few months out with what I presume was caution over your health, but now you come back and pretty quickly, you're not only a singles wrestler again, really for the first time in NXT, but you're a main eventer and you will be main eventing TakeOver 31. What has the last couple of months and really the last couple of weeks been like for you? It's been an absolute whirlwind. Um, and like you mentioned, just such uncertain times with everything going on in the world right now. Um, but to come back and to jump in the saddle and literally jump headfirst into the deep end with a, with a main event to take over, it's, and it's special, man. And, um, you know, a lot of things in this industry tend to be unexpected or, or short notice. Um, but that's just how it's always been. That's how, how my career has always been. Um, you know, you take these opportunities when they come and um, I'm going to make the most of this opportunity. Now, for those that may not understand, you've been pretty open, obviously, about living and working with type 1 diabetes. I'm not sure fans may realize how that can affect you from a performance standpoint. Have you ever felt like it's actually held you back or have you maybe found it as a bright spot that dealing with it focuses you more on your health, your performance, and, and things of that nature? For sure. Um, I mean, I've always looked at 
living with type one as, um, as a way to keep me accountable for my health. Like I really have no excuse to, to not be up to date with my blood sugars, with my diet, with exercising. I mean, I really can't afford to, to slack in that department because I mean, that is how I control uh, diabetes. Um, that said, it is a mental and physical grind. Living with type one, it's, it's hard. Um, but I think about so many people out there who just have things so much harder, so much worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, like kids who are dealt with a, a bad hand and, and have cancer and, and they're sick and they're fighting for their lives. I mean, I, I, I can't complain about, about having type one diabetes because it could be so much worse and, and, you know, I'm inspired by, by everybody else who, who struggles every day with whatever they're dealing with. Um, that inspires me. So if I can be a, a small shred of inspiration to anybody else because of living with type one, then by all means, I'm, I'm happy to do that. But, um, yeah, I, I, overall, to answer your question, I, I do feel like it has been kind of a blessing in disguise for me. No, that, that makes total sense. And like you said, it hasn't, held you back or even if it, if you thought it might have it certainly hasn't shown in terms of your career because you've wrestled all over the world for a ton of major promotions and presumably had a lot of options uh, on your table when you ultimately decided to join NXT a few years ago when you were making that decision to sign with WWE which side of the table did that initial pitch come from in regards specifically to undisputed era obviously starting with the three of you guys initially and was that part of you signing or was that something that was conceptualized after you all had decided to come and join WWE? Um, that was something that kind of came to fruition after the three of us, that being Adam, Bobby, and myself, had decided to come. Um, it's funny because when we were with Ring of Honor, there was a short period where so Bobby and I had been tagging when we were tag guys in, in Ring of Honor and, and Adam and I had kind of this rivalry thing, but there was a short period of time where the three of us were united. Um, at the end of the day, it was to further uh, a storyline with Adam and myself. But hmm. for those like couple months where it was the three of us, we were like, the, we were like, man, there's something good here. We went to management. We're like, can we sort of keep this going? Cause I think we're leaving money on the table. If we disband <laughs> this, this, this threesome too soon. Um, of course, uh, as, as it turned out, it didn't last, but when we came to NXT and, um, before the, the big takeover where the three of us kind of, uh, arrived, so to speak, and we were told this is, uh, a direction they were going to be going. We were like, Oh my God, you couldn't have imagined a better scenario because we all are all so tight and we, we are all such fans of each other. And um, the fact that they were going to do that, we were like, oh, are you kidding? This is freaking awesome. So we were stoked right off the get-go and um, given like a lot of um, input and, and say into what we felt the Undisputed Era should be and how to represent ourselves. And I think that's kind of been a, a huge key to our success is having that say and that input. Because you can tell when you when you watch the Undisputed Era and now with Roddy involved as well that it is for real. Like we, we right. do believe in what we're not just four random guys who've been put together and now we're going to there. Okay. Pretend you guys love each other. Like we really do. Um, so I think that's kind of, uh, what has made it work. Yeah. And it's funny. Uh, I always like when, when people do this, you led me directly into my next question because I interviewed mm-hmm. Adam Cole one day before NXT takeover new Orleans. And I asked him pretty directly about the idea of expanding undisputed era beyond a trio. And the dude straight up lied to my face saying, hey, you, we're good as a trio. And then, of course, what happens? The very next night, Roderick Strong turns, joins up with you guys. Now, I know, yeah. Bob, I know Bobby Fish was injured and that may have played a part in this. But was adding Roddy to the group, was that a last minute change? Was it something that was eventually going to be done and just got moved up a little bit, maybe because Bobby got hurt? Or was that just, hey, like a blessing almost in disguise again, obviously, we don't want Bobby fish to be hurt for an extended period of time, but now you're suddenly a foursome and it really undisputed error was good. I feel like when Roddy joined, it became truly great. Oh, you're hundred percent right. Um, I think Roddy was the missing ingredient. And before Roddy joined the three of us, we were pretty adamant. Like this is just the three of us. We don't want to become 
you know, the NWOB team where we're adding a hundred members every week and mm. uh, just diluting it and watering it down. Um, but we did like amongst the three of us, we were like, if there was one guy that, that would join us, it would be Roderick. And it's so funny that that's the way it ended up working out. Like the, um, the powers that be obviously shared that sentiment and somehow they knew that we shared that mentality as well. And so when it was going to be Roderick strong, that was going to join us. It was like just the perfect piece to the puzzle that, that we didn't really know was missing until he joined. And it was like, oh, okay, now this thing is complete. And now, uh, it, it is going to be something special. And like you said, you know, sucked having Bobby injured. It really did. Um, but having Roddy join in, man, it just took the, the whole group to another level. And, um, I feel like it's been really cool that we could all sort of intermingle as, you know, any, any, pairing of the four of us is going to be a, a, a good tag team, whether it's me and Bobby or uh, Bobby and Roddy or, or Adam and Bebe. It really, it really doesn't matter who of the four is together. It's going to be something unique and special because we all really do work so well together. Oh yeah. The way you guys compliment each other, there's no question about that. So it is fair to say that that was a change of plans basically due to the injury. It was not, it may have been something that, Hey, down the line, it would be nice if we did this. But that was not either, whether that night or multiple months down the line in the cards at that point. Yeah, I'm, I I wouldn't be the guy to ask. I, I wouldn't have a concrete answer for you. Oh, I just meant as far I, as what I you really do. don't yeah. know. That's fair. Yeah, but as far as I know, I think it was like okay, well, uh, I'm not exactly sure how far out from Takeover New Orleans that Bobby did get hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, it might, it might, I, you know, I think it probably was going to happen anyways. But like you said, it might have just been bumped up to happen a little bit sooner but um yeah just it's crazy how things work out no i'm just i was just curious because it was so funny just me personally like because i asked adam about it like a couple days before so i've always i've always just that particularly has always been something that i've been curious about uh but let's get back Mm -hmm. to the let's get back to the present kyle o'reilly versus finn balor on sunday this is a match fans have wanted to see it's a match that you have said you've wanted to be in for years on the list of guys that you've wanted to wrestle but just not had that opportunity yet, where did Balor rank and what should fans be expecting and looking forward to from this particular fight? Um, yeah, I, the match with Balor is something that I had been looking forward to for a long time. As far as list of guys who, who I've wanted to wrestle, he's certainly at the top of that list. And of course, him being the NXT champion, that just bumps into the top of the list because everybody wants a shot at the champion. Everybody wants that that takeover main event and a title shot. So the fact that it's happening, I mean, that's just the icing on the cake. Um, as far as what fans should expect for this Sunday, I mean, that's up for debate. A lot of pe- I see a lot of people saying this is going to be a good match. It's going to be a great match. Oh, it's going to be special. I mean, I'm really not interested in putting on a great match. That's a great match is a byproduct of Kyle O'Reilly stepping in the ring. It's a byproduct of Finn Balor stepping in the ring. It's going to happen. Um, I plan on on finishing Finn as quickly and as efficiently as possible. I'm a jiu-jitsu guy, so I'm going to be hunting for submissions. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if Finn thinks he's defended a submission, it's it's probably just a trap to transition to another part of his body that is more susceptible. So I think um, people are going to be surprised at, at um, the intensity and explosiveness that I bring, and I don't think Finn's going to be prepared for it. Since you mentioned the match quality, I am kind of curious. Do you care at all about star ratings? No, no, certainly not. Um, I, I'm I'm here to become the NXT champion. Whatever path that I have to go down to make that goal realized and to make that happen, I mean that's what's important here. Um, eating Finn, if I if I can tap Finn in 45 seconds. I'm a happy man because I get to go right. home uh, to Bruce Free. So, yeah, I mean, I know Finn's a tough guy. He's not going to be that easy to finish. Um, but like I mentioned, I really don't think he – I don't think he can prepare, can prepare for me. I mean, he's had more singles matches in the last month than I've had in three years in NXT. Mm-hmm. So in terms of uh, preparing for me from a videotape standpoint to see how I perform in a singles opportunity, I don't think he's going to really have the means to be able to do that. Whereas me, I, I, you know, Finn's a guy I've been watching for years now, um, whether it's on Raw or NXT, I, I know how to prepare for Finn. 
I don't think he can prepare for me because I have a lot of tools in my arsenal and a lot of weapons that he hasn't seen, that, that the NXT universe hasn't seen. And, um, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think he's going to be surprised. It is interesting because he's always been, as you kind of mentioned on Wednesday, one step ahead, one step in front, I guess, a little bit of you. So now you're almost making that catch up despite always having that same skill set. So you're going to main event NXT TakeOver, may well become the NXT champion. You fought at Wrestle Kingdom. You won two other major world titles, tons of tag team gold. What is on, and we're looking ahead a little bit, what is on the end of career list? Is it Raw and SmackDown, WrestleMania, competing in the G1? I mean, you're in New Japan for a while. What are some of the goals, career goals, that you still have left after this? Man, that is such a good question. Um, and it's it's weird because I feel in this industry, you ha- you set goals up for yourself. You you have these things you want to accomplish. Um, sometimes they don't always happen, but you all you never lose sight of those goals, and you always kind of want those things to happen. So. Some of them I, I feel I can't comment on per se, but sure. I, sure. I've gotten into this with the goal. I've always had the goal of one day performing at WrestleMania. Um, that's, you know, I went to WrestleMania 19 in Seattle when I was, uh, 15, um, with some friends. And man, since, I mean, before that, but since I was like, one day I'm going to, I'm going to perform at WrestleMania. So that, that would definitely be an end of the career goal. Um, something that I, I truly hope to accomplish one day. And, uh, I really hope that one day I will get that opportunity to say that, you know, I've been on a WrestleMania card, man. That's just, that's the stuff dreams are made of. How do you guys, you can speak for yourself or the Undisputed Era as a whole. How do you guys look at Raw and SmackDown? Because you, you have been a huge part of the NXT transition from one hour on the network to two hours on cable television. Obviously, Adam was world champion as the longest reign in, in NXT history. You guys are, I think, the first three-time NXT tag team champions. So, You've been that large part of the development and growth of NXT, but at the same time in WWE, many do still hold Raw and SmackDown on that pedestal. Well, again, whether it's just you, whether it's you know you guys as a foursome, have, you know is that still something that is a strong you know desire sooner than later? Um, if that is the case, our, our primary goal is to elevate NXT so that it is seen on the same pedestal as a raw or a SmackDown. I mean, NXT is something we really believe in. It's like you said, we've been part of it. Some huge moments for NXT going from one hour to two hours, going from taped every four weeks to, to live every week. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's so cool to be a part of man. And we're really proud of, of the fact that we have been a part of that. And we've been, we've been carrying the flag of NXT. Um, so I don't think there's any plans amongst us individually to, to sacrifice that because we, we genuinely really love this brand. Um, that said, I, I mean, I think we'd make the most out of any opportunity, whether that's on Raw or SmackDown. There's a lot of guys there that I'm a huge fan of. There's a lot of guy, uh, guys I think would make for some extremely interesting matchups with any member of the Undisputed Era. Um, but, I mean, those things are out of our control. We really have no say. Um, I know whatever happens, we'll make the most of the opportunity and um, we'll rise to the occasion and continue to be the undisputed era. And that's worked for us so far. It's been our MO. It's made us successful. I think it's helped make the brand successful. So we'll just continue to do that and uh, take it as it comes, man, because you really never know in this line of work. No doubt about it. Now, Kyle, I will get you out of here on this. You're from British Columbia. Obviously, the Hart family's from Alberta. you got tons of guys from Ontario, Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho from Winnipeg, and Roddy Piper from Saskatchewan. I don't even know how to say where Kevin Owens is from, so I'm not going to try. I'm going to put you on the spot. Maryville, Quebec. Okay. Oh, is it Maryville, Quebec? I thought I saw like a longer French city or something that I just didn't, didn't know. I might be way is. off. I think that's what it is. <laughs> I know that's where he's built from, but I... I at least, oh, fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. so maybe, whatever. Somewhere but, in Quebec. Regardless, I wasn't going to even, I wasn't even going to try to screw it up just in case I was wrong. So nevertheless, I'm putting you on the spot, not letting you get out of here without answering who is the greatest. And you can, you can say yourself, but I don't think you should not yet. At least who is the greatest Canadian professional wrestler of all time? I have always been a a huge fan of Owen Hart. Um, He's a guy I've, you know, I've studied for many years. I was a huge fan as a kid. Uh, I was devastated when he mm-hmm. passed away. Um, 
I mean, I, it's it's really hard to say because there is so many tremendously talented Canadian wrestlers. Um, but man, I, I it's hard to put anyone above Owen Hart because he really had all the tools. And um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd say him. As far as someone else from British Columbia, I'll I'll go with uh, John Earthquake Kenta. Yeah, because he was from not from uh, not far from where I grew up. So <laughs> I was a little. I don't think a lot of people understand know that about John. No, Kenta, but yeah, he's a BC boy. Yeah, I did not know that. And, and talk about one of, I mean, I think one of the most underrated wrestlers ever. He, he was incredible. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely great. Well, also great, Kyle O'Reilly joining me today for the first time on Getting Over. Kyle will be challenging and possibly defeating Finn Balor on Sunday for the NXT Championship at NXT TakeOver 31, airing live 7 p.m. Eastern on the WWE Network. Kyle, best of luck, man, and thank you so much for the time today. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me and good chat. Thanks once again to Kyle for joining us. Awesome interview. So great to talk to him ahead of such a big moment in his career. We will move on to the NXT championship match. Finn Balor defending against Kyle O'Reilly in the main event of NXT TakeOver 31. So we got a version of a prime target video package with Kyle O'Reilly. And as always, That was absolute nails on Wednesday. I could have watched a 15-minute version of it, but it did a really good job telling the basics of his story, his relationship with the Undisputed Era, which is significantly deeper, by the way, than what was covered either in that segment or even in the interview that I just did with him. And the idea that he has never been able to cross paths uh, with Balor, despite always wanting to. They're also clearly teasing something that I think we can talk about in a couple of minutes. A little bit later in the show, you had Adam Cole defeat Austin Theory in a one-on-one match. Theory had called out O'Reilly backstage, saying he needed to get on Theory's level considering Theory had already been on WrestleMania at age 23. Cole came out to the ring later, really upset, basically propped up all of Undisputed Era as the most dominant force in NXT, and then had a fun back and forth with Theory, daring him to compete in a match. This match was fantastic, man. Cole gave Theory tons of offense, And it sold all of it really well. It was a real respectable job putting over the younger guy, which may be playing into something that we can possibly discuss in a moment. But after the match, Cole looked dead into the camera, boosted up Riley once again, saying Kyle is going to shock the world, but he's not going to shock me. And by the way, do not forget they were tag team partners previously. The name of that tag team, Future Shock. Uh, And then in the main event, segment, I guess, before the final match of the show, there was a face-to-face with Shawn Michaels moderating Finn Balor and Kyle O'Reilly. I really loved this segment. I like that it did not start contentious, but it slowly got there step-by-step as each of them was speaking. This was a really good lesson in how to quickly build towards a big match. And it was a two-way masterclass in how to cut back and forth promos. These guys tore each other apart without cutting each other down. That's a huge key, and it's a stark contrast to how some WWE feuds are built, where the heels just pick at the face's weaknesses and can only get over by tearing them down. It makes your challenger look weak. It only hurts the challenger, whether in victory or defeat, and you're going to see something a little bit different in that regard happened Wednesday night on AEW, where Cody basically did the opposite of the normal WWE trope, but the same thing that O'Reilly and Um, Finn Balor did right in this spot. This was the best segment, number one, on the entire show. In fact, it was the best segment, number one, the entire Wednesday night, both brands. It was incredibly entertaining. And by the time it was over, I legitimately rewound it to watch it a second time. It was that good. So now we get into the match itself, Finn Balor, Kyle O'Reilly, and look, it's gonna tear the house down. Just straight up, expectations are sky high. and, And if yours aren't, they should be. I'm, I'm setting them right now. This is a matchup that can be every bit as good as an Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, the Tommaso Ciampa factor. I'm not saying, hey, this is going to be a five-star match. Obviously, in our interview, Kyle said he doesn't care about uh, star ratings. But what I'm telling you is it has that possibility. And I'm very excited for it. But as far as the match itself, look, we talked about the North American Championship being a hot potato. Same thing with the NXT Championship. I don't really see how they can change the title again after going already from Adam Cole to Keith Lee to Karrion Kross to Finn Balor 
inside of six months. I mean, it was even quicker than that. But I, I think you have to keep the title on Finn Balor here. I believe there are more face challengers than there are heel challengers for his title coming up. Yeah, Champa and Gargano exist, but they don't need to be anywhere near the title picture right now. So I just am of the belief that Finn Balor ultimately does need to retain the title in this spot. But the larger question really is, what does the future of Undisputed Era look like? Because what you saw in the video segment, the prime target segment, what you heard actually in our interview with Kyle O'Reilly, and what you saw in the segment with Adam Cole is that Kyle O'Reilly right now is a face. Adam Cole, starting with the build to the Pat McAfee feud, became a face. Roderick Strong and Bobby Fish aren't necessarily. They're attacking people after matches. They're still doing heel antics. And it makes you think there's two possibilities here. One is they're featuring O'Reilly. They wanted to give him some shine. Maybe Fish or Strong, especially right now, maybe they're not around for a certain reason. Personal, professional, you know, who knows? Um, And maybe their plan in the draft is to have O'Reilly lose this in a good match that he's deserved and, and certainly is an awesome opportunity for him. And you bring all these guys up to the main roster in the draft. That is certainly an option. The other option is there might be a split in Undisputed Era where you have Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly reform their Future Shock tag team, which bolsters the tag team division in NXT. And Strong and Fish end up doing the same and they split right down the middle. And maybe that is a temporary split. It happens over a misunderstanding or miscommunication for a short period of time. Perhaps there's a scenario where Strong and Fish interfere in the match to try to help O'Reilly, but Cole yells at them for doing it the following week on NXT because, hey, he didn't need the help. Kyle Kyle had it. You shouldn't have done that. Whatever the case. I don't know. I I don't know how the story is going to unfold, but I do see a scenario where we might see an Undisputed Era split. And it's tough because on one hand, we've all, I think, anyone who's listened to the show, most people who are fans of NXT, we've all wanted just for them to take Undisputed Era literally like a crane, like one of those uh, cranes where you can buy stuffed toys or or, or try to win stuffed toys, pluck them out of NXT, drag them over to the box and drop them onto Raw or SmackDown and have nothing change, right? That's really what you want. But at the same time, NXT is very cognizant of the fact that they don't want to lose stars off their brand right now. And there, it's just maybe a situation where they are deciding to keep Undisputed Era on the yellow brand, but they need something fresh for them to do. And after, you know, three years and all of them winning the gold already, Adam Cole having really long title reigns, Roderick Strong candidly failing on multiple occasions for title in, in title opportunities, Maybe there's nothing else for them to do at this point, but split up as long as they remain in NXT. So whether that's short-term, whether that's long-term, I don't know, but this match does feel like it's going to be a turning point for the entire faction, not just for Kyle O'Reilly. So because of that, yes, I do have Finn Balor retaining the title. That gives us two title changes out of four matches on the show. But this top to bottom, man, is a really strong takeover. And I know it was built in relatively short order. It seems like WWE adjusted its pay-per-view schedule and needed something to maybe fill in the blanks a little bit here. Obviously, this year we're not going to get, it's, or at least it seems like we're not going to be getting war games in November. So I don't know when the next NXT TakeOver is going to be, but you know, coming out of the interview with Kyle, coming out of uh, NXT on Wednesday, the builds to all these matches... I just thought they did a really great job, and I'm definitely excited for NXT TakeOver 31. Now, before we move on to that other brand, uh, let's just break down a couple things quickly that happened on NXT television that will not be part of TakeOver. Before we even get to those, we need to talk about the biggest news item today in NXT, which is that Tegan Knox has torn her ACL for a third time. This is massively unfortunate news. It's now the third time, as I said, she's torn her ACL. And while you can never these days in 2020 write off modern medicine, three tears of an ACL is generally the end of the line for athletes. There's usually too much surgical scarring to continue operating at a high level. 
Though granted, this is wrestling, so it is a little bit different than it would be if she was a soccer player, for example. But Knox tore it the first time before that first Mae Young Classic, I think in 2017. Then while she was competing in the second Mae Young Classic, her entire knee exploded. She tore her ACL, MCL, LCL, and meniscus, and she dislocated her patellar. So this is now the third tear, the third surgery, and basically she's been on the shelf for the better part of three years over a 45-month span, which is just incredibly difficult and demoralizing. It seems like she is a person of high spirits, but someone can only get beat down so much. So where I thought the storyline was going from NXT last week with LeRae attacking Knox was to set her up as the challenger for the NXT title when LeRae beat Shirai. Obviously I was wrong and it was just to write Knox off. So there's hope for a speedy recovery here. She has my thoughts, no question about it. I think she's a great superstar in NXT and someone who would do exceedingly well when given the opportunity on the main roster. But, you know, we're honest on this show and I am not optimistic that after a third ACL surgery, she's going to be able to come back full strength or be anything more than maybe a part-timer. But I do hope that she sticks around WWE and NXT no matter what happens because she's great personality, like I said, and she's clearly someone that loves wrestling. And this is just really unfortunate stuff for her. Uh, The opening match of the show, NXT on Wednesday night, we had Shotzi Blackheart defeat Dakota Kai. This was an extremely entertaining opening match. I do find it interesting that NXT has been putting women's matches on first so frequently. And I wonder if something from their analytics tells them that they keep viewers watching. You know, I'm kind of curious. Shotzi did a really nice tribute to Lita during the match. And then later in the match, she nearly broke her neck uh, walking up the ring post for that, you know, turnaround type of slam. She landed right on top of her head and it looked gnarly. I'm glad they took the time to make sure she was okay in that moment, but she's basically like at Kota Ibushi's level right now as far as having an indestructible neck. I just kind of want her to be more careful because from a wrestling standpoint, she's really good even though you know we do we have talked about from a character development standpoint, that does need a little bit of improvement. Um, so Shotzi got the win on a roll-up after Rhea Ripley saved her from distraction by Raquel Gonzalez. There seems to be a lot of roll-up finishes these days. It's not the worst thing just to let faces hit finishers and win, even if it comes from a distraction type of finish. And I kind of wish that's what we got here. But I do imagine we're going to get a tag team next week with all four of these women, and then presumably the big money match, Rhea Ripley versus Raquel Gonzalez down the line, with Ripley winning, hopefully, and moving on to something major coming out of that. Also on NXT, we had the Cameron Grimes Invitational Stepping Stones to the Moon match. And it took a while, but Grimes, man, he has really hit his stride in NXT as an annoying heel. You had Joey Pistachio doing the job seconds in, a playoff of Joey Chestnut, I have to assume, uh, with the Caven. And then Ridge Holland comes out and basically murdered jobber number two, uh, Joey Strong, I think his name was. Then Holland gets in there and just flattens Grimes into a pancake. This was a really fun segment, clearly a match that they will be building, uh, I think, for next week and going forward. But Ridge Holland, man, it's really weird. I'm just, they've debuted him in such a strong manner that I've already bought into this guy. But, you know, I do want to see a little bit more character from him. Later on, you saw Grimes run into Dexter Loomis backstage. Uh, Loomis, if you remember, was in the middle of a push. He's been sidelined for two months, so it is good to see him back. And then we also got Caden Carter defeating Zia Lee on the show. It was a fine match between two underrated wrestlers. Carter trapped Lee in a pinning combination for the win. Lee was frustrated, stormed off, uh, pushed Carter down and, and brushed off, I think, uh, Casey Catanzaro's help. So, you know, they're building a storyline. I don't know what it's going to be, but certainly really curious about that. But this was a really strong edition of NXT on Wednesday night. A great go-home show for TakeOver. NXT has absolutely been killing it for the last month. Just really great television. And, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily shown in the ratings for them, but nevertheless, this viewer has been entertained and I am extremely excited for TakeOver 31 on Sunday. Now we will move on to AEW, which itself had a strong show on Wednesday, making it, I'd say three in the last four weeks that AEW has really been hitting on all cylinders. Great opening match, Darby Allen defeating Ricky Starks. A rapper randomly cut a promo for Allen before the match. 
Anyway, the match was great. I'm not as big of a Darby Allen fan as I thought I would be by now, but there is no doubting his talent. Starks is already great. Everything from his in-ring ability to his facial expressions. Obviously, his, his mic work is on point. We got that really cool spear during the match, and I thought we were set up for a huge high-risk maneuver to end it, but we ended up not getting that. Darby did hit the coffin drop, though, on Starks back for a good finish. Really solid opening match to the show. Next, we got uh, Vampire Cody uh, accepting a dog collar match challenge. And you're probably going to hear or see people praise this promo because they praise every Cody promo. But you guys know I'm honest here. I absolutely hated it. Hated it. And remember, I am someone who has largely been won over by Cody over the last calendar year. His passion at the end, those final five seconds, saved it from being maybe awful. Um, But the idea that this guy, right, who's the executive vice president of AEW and put all of his effort into making himself a star and making AEW happen, making it become a reality, suddenly wouldn't care about wrestling because he lost the TNT title and judge a stupid game show with like Rosario Dawson and I forgot someone else, but Snoop Dogg was on there too. It it just didn't make any sense. He did that whole stuff about the handshakes, it felt like Cody had a very simple task. Go out and accept the challenge with passion. But he almost said to himself, I need to make this into one of those great Cody Rhodes promo segments. And there's been so many legitimately great Cody Rhodes promo segments. But this one was just convoluted, top to bottom, and it fell way flat for me. Like I said, the passion at the end, that was really nice. It saved it a little bit. But I know AEW does not have writers, and that's a great thing. But you can't tell me that this was unscripted, even if Cody's the one who did the scripting. I mean, even uh, the, the questions that were being asked of him, Dasha's questions, were scripted, right? So it just, it, it didn't feel natural, the entire segment. And it was a shame, because I don't think really Cody needs that. He could have just sought Brody Lee backstage, beat the hell out of him, and then come out, grab the mic, and then said, do I accept, do I accept, what you know? What do you think? Yes, I accept. And it's fire, man, and you're buying into Cody and you're really excited. Instead, you got a weird pull-apart brawl. Those are generally good. They raise rent on segments and they did get a lot of feuds integrated there. I thought that was good. But then Brandy Rhodes shows up, does a senton off the top rope to the outside, and she takes out six dudes, like 95-pound Brandy Rhodes with a senton. It just didn't make any sense. So that was laughable, even while suspending disbelief. It's one thing if like, I, you know, like I said, Io Shirai splashed over the top rope to the outside off of Damian Priest's shoulders, Gargano and a woman, Candice LeRae. You're like, okay, yeah, it, the, it was momentum, whatever. This was six dudes. And she landed like right in the middle of them. It just did not work for me. It was really the lone segment on the whole show that did not work for me. But man, like I think it deserves the criticism and you know, hopefully you guys agree here. We did have a tag team title match, FTR defeating SCU with a 20 minute time limit. Before the match, FTR cut a promo. They mentioned Dave Meltzer's star ratings. Okay, uh, then Matt Jackson and presumably Nick Jackson, though I think he does, he might have coronavirus. Um, so they just use the stand-in for his leg. Super kick Tony Schiavone out of nowhere. And I continue to love the storyline with the Young Bucks. Then I was a little bit confused and maybe I did miss something in storyline because SCU is getting a title match, but Scorpio Sky is competing when I thought he was focused on singles action and Frankie Kazarian and Christopher Daniels were teaming up. So maybe CD was injured and maybe that's why he's not, wasn't able to compete. But everything I had been told storyline-wise was that Scorpio Sky was making it as a singles performer. It was a nice touch before the match having Sean Spears in the gorilla position I always like stuff like that where there's a little interaction, strange backstage. You wonder what's going to happen from there. And I also laughed during the match at Hangman Page asking for a whiskey refill when CD got ejected uh, from ringside. That was very funny. In fact, Hangman Page's commentary the entire time uh, was great being basically indifferent to the idea of wrestling singles because he finds the tag team division so important. And because 
His chemistry with Kenny Omega was so great that he doesn't see why they would stop being a tag team. All of that was really good stuff. The match was wrestled really well, as is to be expected from these teams. Sky was the star of the match again, despite being pinned. Uh, This referee here, it's an interesting situation. He's called a few AEW tag team matches now with FTR. And let's just say it kind of seems like he's one-sided. He looked over at Tully Blanchard numerous times during the match. He tossed out CD and then didn't see Tully's interference or Sky's feet hitting the bottom rope during the pinfall. Just kind of feels to me like something is building there. So a little curious to see if I'm right or if it's really just a figment of my imagination. We have a DM slide from Nick Flynn at nflynn underscore 17. He says, with the dog collar match now set for next week and the addition of the brush of greatness matches and all the other stipulations that we've seen recently, how close do you think AEW is getting to the WCW level of weirdness stipulation matches? Is it becoming too much of a crutch for them or more of a way to be different and exciting? I don't think they're approaching WCW level. I don't think it's a crutch. I do think it's an attempt for them to be different, try a lot of things, see what works. Look, AEW may kind of stand up and, you know, puff out their chest and talk about winning the ratings war. And you have Tony Khan, you know, screaming about it every time the ratings come out. But it is still a war. They are still in competition. And they need to do things to get people to watch their show and try to get those numbers to consistently go above a million as opposed to just occasionally hit it, right? Um, And I'm saying occasionally hit it, not even in total shows, but like individual segments. So, you know, matches like these, does it feel unnecessary that it's a dog collar match? Yeah, but at the same time, I like stipulation matches and especially rarely seen stipulation matches. So I'm not going to knock them on this. I think it's really solid and I'm interested for the match next week. I may not have liked the build over the last two weeks, but... The match should be great, and I am excited for it. We also had the announcement of a number one contendership tournament. That sounds great already for the AEW World Championship. Longtime listeners know I love tournaments, brackets, anything where there's there's a competition and storytelling going on multiple weeks. The Silver King is for it. So far, we have Jungle Boy, Ray Phoenix, and Kenny Omega, which is a great start. It seems like Hangman Page is going to be an obvious addition to the field. I definitely think they need to get Pentagon in there as well. That would be great. I'm not so sure if we do get Paige and Omega in the finals, which will be held at full gear. I'm also not sure Omega is the surefire winner of this because the title match for the winner should be held at a pay-per-view. And I don't think you're going to wait four months for Omega to get that opportunity. So, you know, I don't know if I have a favorite right now, but I do love the idea of a Phoenix or a Pentagon winning. So hopefully they're both in it. We already know Phoenix is. And hopefully one of them comes out on top. You saw Chris Jericho defeat Isaiah Cassidy in a singles match. This was a pretty slow match. Cassidy hit the code breaker. That was a really cool spot. Jericho caught him flying with the Judas effect for the win. And then after the match, Jericho and Jake Hager fought with Luther and Serpentico. And I'm like, really? So now they're surely going to have a tag team match next week. And I know that Chris Jericho is going to have a tag team match or a match of any kind on his anniversary show. It's his 30th anniversary of being a wrestler. So it makes sense. Rumor has it that AEW was trying to get Lance Storm to be a surprise guest to have a one-on-one match with Jericho. I guess he couldn't make it into the country if he still lives in Canada. So maybe that's the case. So I have no issue with Jericho fighting next week. And maybe I'm in the minority here, but I just don't really need Jericho wrestling every week. I want him to be on my TV every week and to be cutting promos and leading inner circle and telling storylines every week as the leader of the faction. But I think he should be the least frequent of them to wrestle, not the most frequent, which is what he has been over the last couple of months. He's just older, slower, and I'm not saying he's bad in the ring. He's still great in the ring, still extremely entertaining. But it should be a treat when you see Chris Jericho wrestle. And instead, it's kind of almost expected. And, you know, the the Orange Cassidy feud, at least it was a feud. Isaiah Cassidy, he does not need to be the one from Inner Circle fighting Isaiah Cassidy. Hager can do that. Sammy can do it. Either of Santana or Ortiz can do that. So that's a demerit for me there. Uh, We also saw Miro 
planning a bachelor party. So Miro was upset at how he was used in WWE as Rusev, but he's a massive star who has debuted in a tag team comedy gimmick. And I know this may be exactly what he says he wants to do, but from an AEW booking standpoint, this is what they've chosen for him to do. Remember, Lance Archer and Brian Cage got main event feuds and title matches right off the jump. We got Rusev coming into AEW with a ton of momentum from WWE, from fans thinking he's been looked over and treated poorly. And you start him in segments with a cameo from a D-list celebrity in Billy Mitchell, who, by the way, was basically found to be a cheater. Uh, Despite all of this, that segment was funny. I enjoyed it. Miro makes me laugh. He's entertaining. I love him. But I just think this kind of needed to be said that they're really not handling him well right now. Even if it's what, even if he's okay with it or if it's what he wants to do, if you're going to debut Miro, you debut him in a major way. You have him kick some ass, take some names, and win a title in short order. You don't have him do this. Uh, you had Orange Cassidy defeat 10 from Dark Order. Nice and easy singles win from Orange Cassidy. Really good that he's just still winning uh, and being seen on TV, trying to, I guess, build the momentum from Jericho, but 10 from Dark Order. I don't know that he necessarily does that. Uh, then you have MJF, who comes bearing gifts to the inner circle in what was number one, the best segment of the entire show, and would have been, you know, 1B to the 1A that was that Kyle O'Reilly and Finn Balor segment from NXT. I continue to love the interactions between MJF and Chris Jericho. I thought I might be reaching a bit last week when I was talking about MJF maybe joining Inner Circle and being the rock to Jericho's Farouk, but it really does seem like that's the direction that they're going right now, so I'm very excited to see this continue. I also loved a couple of the small touches here, like MJF not getting a jacket for Sammy Guevara and Jericho interrupting Sammy only then to repeat the exact same thing that Sammy said anyway. This was just really good stuff top to bottom. Uh, These guys are awesome. And I'm excited to see the storyline play out. And if it does go in that direction, it's a damn good storyline and very smart booking by Tony Khan. A couple more segments to wrap up here. Britt Baker defeated Red Velvet. Baker hit a fisherman's neckbreaker. That was pretty nice. Then she hit Seth Rollins stomp for the win uh, before putting the lockjaw on Red Velvet. It was a six minute women's match. It came 90 minutes into the show and it was the only women's segment on the entire show, unless you count Brandy coming out and, uh, you know, doing the senton. So that's your women's wrestling on AEW. Uh, AEW World Championship, John Moxley defending against The Butcher. The stuff with Eddie Kingston and Bryce Remsburg at the beginning before the match, that was really fun. And I liked that Kingston outsmarted Moxley, which is good because Moxley has largely outsmarted his opponents with The Butcher being the challenger. That was all really cool. But it was a letdown as a viewer to... Consider all the other options, Phoenix, Pentagon, and ultimately be the butcher challenging here. Uh, It was good hard-hitting action, though. Moxley obviously needed to retain the title without too much angst, so it was a short match. I think it was like 12 minutes. The butcher isn't really a world title challenger level competitor, so that made total sense. Good continuity, by the way, to have Moxley submit him the same way he tapped out Kingston, although I actually should correct, he didn't tap out Kingston. Kingston passed out, but nevertheless... The continuity there was really interesting. And it was just fun. A fun main event with Moxley getting over. It's always good to see a world title match in a main event. And they certainly needed it because over on NXT, that was a pretty damn good final 30 minutes with the Finn Balor, Kyle O'Reilly, and then the mixed tag team match. So it will be curious to see how the ratings shake out. Although you guys know on this show, we don't pay too much attention to that. So really good episode of AEW. Again, I thought... Third and four weeks for them. NXT, four straight weeks, just top tier level television. Wednesday nights have been awesome. For me, as a Yankees fan, it was really tough to watch both shows and the Yankees game simultaneously. So, you know, the fact that we have TakeOver coming up, uh, hopefully the Yankees are going to keep going deep in the World Series, but or in, in the postseason, and then eventually to the World Series, it's going to be a lot of Wednesday night television watching for the Silver King. There's also still Big Brother going on that I had to watch before bed. I got to bed at like 2.30 a.m. after watching four shows in a row and the Yankees game in particular went on forever. So yeah, uh, big Wednesday night of action, uh, big show today, big week of professional wrestling podcasting here 
at getting over. So you're probably wondering what is coming up next. What's next is instant analysis of NXT TakeOver 31 Sunday night as soon as that show goes off the air. The Silver King and possibly a special guest will be here to break down everything that goes down on that show. Excited to talk about that with you. And then on Tuesday, Chris Vanini definitely will be rejoining me for our WWE episode. We'll talk about everything that happened on SmackDown that Friday and then Raw on Monday night. And we will preview the WWE draft a little bit further than what I did on this past week's episode. Don't forget, by the way, if you have not listened to it, we already have waiting for you instant analysis of WWE Clash of Champions. And then on Tuesday show this week, not only did I break down everything else in the world of WWE, I also interviewed WWE superstar Alexa Bliss. We had a great chat. It's getting a lot of publicity, that episode. So I hope all of you are listening to it. So thank you all for listening to this edition of Getting Over. So fun talking about NXT and AEW with you. There's only one more person who has something to say before we get out of here. Elizabeth, come on out, man. We got something going that's really big. Oh, yeah. Look in the video scope right now and tell them about Macho Madness. Tell them how strong it is and tell them where we're going. Yeah. We into the twilight zone. Yeah. And how Corbin's got no chance, does he? No. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man? No. 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 And one of the greatest wrestling past, present, and future that ever lived. Why? Okay, now say goodbye. Goodbye. Say goodbye. goodbye. Okay, get out of here. That's a rock, Randy. Yeah, but and thank you all for listening i will see you sunday night bye for now